When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. I'm Chris Holmes, and this is Burned by Books. Here you'll find interviews with writers you already love, like Jennifer Egan and Rebecca Mackay, mixed in with up-and-coming voices like Alexandra Kleeman and Rahman Alam. You'll find us wherever you listen to podcasts, but check out previous episodes at burnedbybooks.com and on Instagram and Twitter at burnedbybooks. Let's start the show. Deepti Kapoor's riveting crime drama, Age of Vice, opens with a horrible car accident. A rich man's luxury car barrels into a group of the very poorest, sleeping outside in 2004 Delhi. This seeming accident will spark a series of events connecting a wealthy crime family, an investigative journalist, and a young man who begins life on the lowest rung of Indian society, but ends up somewhere wholly different. So begins Kapoor's utterly engrossing thriller, which will propel us across India, touching every corner of the country to reveal the ways in which power and privilege always brush up against poverty and invisibility. The Wadia family, rich beyond imagination, pulls the strings for the power players that make Delhi run. The heir to the family crime fortune, Sunny, is both charming and violent, drug-addled and ambitious. On the other side of the world of privilege, AJ is born into nothing in Uddhar Pradesh, awash in a, a world of poverty in which his family sells him into slavery to mete out an existence. Through a stroke of luck and his own natural intelligence, AJ will find himself rising within the power structures of that family, first as a servant, then bodyguard, then confidant, his rise will challenge every conception of morality and goodness that he can manage to hold on to as he becomes a hired killer, a prisoner, and a man of terrible power. Binding the two of them is Neda Kapoor, an investigative journalist who is drawn to Sonny's cultured charms but disgusted by the depravity upon which they're built. These three lives will test the premise of global capital in a story that asks whether we can excuse violence when it is a means to climb out of poverty, and most importantly, whether redemption is possible once you are awash in privilege that is built on violence. The result is a novel that pulls you into its world and works the kind of literary imagination that dissolves your reality in favor of story. 
rife with moral complexity and the drama of terrible choices in impossible situations, Age of Vice combines the best of crime drama with a literary eye to the complexities of characters pushed to their extremes. This novel has so much to say about global inequity and the sorrows it produces. It's not to be missed. The author, Deepti Kapoor, grew up in northern India and worked for several years as a journalist in New Delhi. The author of the novel, Bad Character, she now lives in Portugal with her husband. Welcome, Deepti. Hi, Chris. Uh, thank you uh, for having me on your podcast and that um, introduction, which is possibly one of the best um, summaries of the novel that I have heard oh, thank um, you so, so far. So thank you very much. No, thank you. And I just loved getting lost in Age of Vice. It's absolutely compelling. And and part of it is really these characters, which you give such wonderful backstories. The core story of AJ and his rise from orphan sold into slavery as a child to a major figure in the Wadia crime family expands out to open up the stories of other characters whose lives will intersect with him. How did this web of characters come to you? And, and what was the original germ of AJ's story? Well, um, I don't, um, so with, at least with the way I write fiction is that I don't think of a theme. Um, and then I think, okay, I'm going to, in order to uh, illustrate and dramatize this theme, I'm going to create characters. I, I have people that I've uh, known through my life or maybe heard someone's story and it's very fascinating and then I work from people first and then the the themes emerge and having said that of course I had lived for you know and and still go back to Delhi a lot my mother lives there so Delhi was this place that I knew and know very well especially that millennial Delhi the time between 98 to 2008 when I lived there I studied and worked as a journalist um, a time of great change because we were uh, India was moving from a socialist economy to a capitalist one so everything was was changing Delhi was exploding uh, and and coming back to the characters the the character for Sunny and, and Neda you know Neda is partially based on me but not completely I've just kind of stolen a few details from my own life but otherwise have created her from you know people I've known um, her she's a she's a daughter of culturally elite family who lives in a very powerful address in Delhi I, I didn't have any of that um, Sunny is like men that I have uh, grown up around and watched on into you know young boys who then became quite uh, privileged, um, often um, disaffected young men, and now have um, a men of who also hold great power themselves. And um, these two characters, I had a hold on, but and and an idea that I wanted to write a Delhi novel that had been sort of simmering hmm. um for a long time but I, I i always knew there was something missing so there was this idea of trying to make it like gatsby and and there's the, you uh, that's know, so interesting i felt that um while reading it and i wondered whether this was a a, a gatsby-esque yeah i mean i was i was always fascinated having watched 
some of these incredibly rich, privileged people be, be quite cruel and callous with people around them and not just, you know, servants, but their say, peers and contemporaries and then sort of retreat behind their wealth. And and I thought, OK, this this would be an interesting novel. But I I think it felt a little bit close to my first novel, to Bad Character. And I also felt that I I wanted to do something more. Um, and, a, and a novel which is set in India, um, New India, about the rich, very, very, I, I mean, is also basically a novel about inequality and extreme inequality. Mm-hmm. And I was traveling um, in my 30s, about 10 years back, actually, in the mountains, and I met a young boy who had a story like Ajay, who had been uh, sold or sent off by his family in order to pay off a debt. He was working in a guest house. He was... Um, very smart, just full of hope and optimism for this future, for his future, which I didn't see much hope there. But I mean, you know, he he was just in, incredibly sweet and loyal and kind. And um, it was, and that's really when the writer's brain started to click. And, th- and, and I thought that, okay, I can combine these, these three stories, these three characters. And, um, I had I'd, I'd watched in my years in Delhi um, a lot of these young men who worked in these private mansions as servants, as chauffeurs, as bodyguards, also, and they kind of, they were again invisible, but they weren't invisible. They watched everything, uh, they listened, and um, yeah, and and that's when the, this the story of the character of Ajay was born from this this sort of years of observation. And uh, that's when the novel, the germ of the novel, I mean, that's when I had it. And that's when I could start working. Mm. Ajay's story is a picaresque mixed with a crime thriller. And he's he's quite a chameleon, at least at first, learning how to listen and learn and survive in situations that require him to do as he is told. When the opportunity comes to him to rise up, even the tiniest step in the world from nothing to something, he takes it and runs with it. It's a survival instinct. But that instinct also makes him a killer and for much of the novel kind of a slave. Do you see his choices as amoral, sort of outside of the bounds of morality because of the impossibility of his circumstances? Or does that context burn away when he is crossing these um, existential lines of, of killing or acting on the behalf of terrible people? Oh, that's a really interesting question. I never, um, I never saw see Ajay's choices as uh, outside the bounds of morality. I feel like he is uh, someone who is trapped by his, um, you know, his upbringing, his his background, and he's constantly trying to break free um, from these constraints. Um, and he's, I mean, I, I think he makes choices that, uh, and, he, and he does things that, you know, he's. It's almost like he doesn't have the right ways of looking at what whether an act is moral or immoral, immoral. So it's it's almost he's 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 trapped and he wants to please. I mean that's his 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 biggest strength, but also his his greatest failing, his he his desire to please, his desire to mm-hmm. belong, and then that makes him want to belong to Sunny and the Vadias, uh, makes him makes him uh, do 
things that you know he wouldn't have done otherwise it's like he gets trapped and then manipulated by these very powerful forces mm. you cover an unbelievable amount of ground in india in the novel uttar mm. pradesh delhi rajasthan goa the distances geographically are huge but each of these regions is culturally and linguistically different, often on the scale of a different country altogether. Was it intimidating to deal with the whole of such a diverse nation? And did you rely on your knowledge of these places or were you doing research? Both. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I didn't. And um, I'm glad you picked um, on that and how, how diverse India is, because I often have like people from outside tell me that they're going to India and, you know, they, they want to do all the whole country in two weeks, which is just, <laughs> you know, I, I, I tell them, try doing Europe in two weeks. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, and I, you know, I didn't cover the South, so <laughs> that's a whole different novel. And, um, I, a lot of it is based on my own travels. Um, I mean, I lived and worked in Delhi. I'm from, my family comes from UP. I was born there. I went back for my summer holidays. My grandma lived in these kind of like very um, small uh, criminal towns. She worked as a gynecologist um, and she was a sort of, uh, she had a small hospital um, in a place very close to Agra and a place called Ferozabad. So I watched, um, and this is um a place where where you can see that relationship between criminality and politics emerge in the 90s and then become stronger and more powerful in 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 the you know in the early years of the millennium so it was it's and then i and then there was travels in the mountains tra living in goa i lived in goa for a while but actually not for a while for for many years with my husband so um and and then whatever gaps there were in my knowledge i um you know you plug with research but at least for places in India, I always um, like to set them in where places that I know and know intimately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you could you could feel that knowledge in in the different places, and I, I feel like you gave the texture to how how different they feel, both in terms of there's just the pure geography, but also in in the ways in which capitalism kind of touches them differently, which I think is important for how the story changes as Ajay moves from place to place. I'm interested in talking for a second about Sunny Vadia. He's this compelling monster. He's yeah. he's char he's charming and sophisticated and smart and wily, always looking to play a, a better hand than his father, whatever the cost to the people around him. Early in the novel, from Ajay's perspective, he comes off as sort of a bumbling drug addict, awash in in money and power that he didn't earn. But as his character develops, we get more of a complicated story, enough that we even root for him at times. How does Sonny exist uh, in your mind? It's a great question. He's a charming sociopath, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> often. Um, he's, he's an empty monster. He is um, uh, a, a poor little rich boy. You know, he is so many different uh, things. It, it was challenging for me to write Sunny because I often felt like, um, you know, inhabiting emptiness or a cold heart. How do you write that uh, with empathy? Um, so, so that you know, readers can feel that too. I mean, some of them, um, you know, he's he's a. It's 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 interesting because I think he has. Um, 
good intentions, but he's severely self-deluded mm-hmm. and um, has an idea of um, that he is a, a much better person than he actually is. I mean, and then, of course, he has this, uh, the big elephant in the room is his father and, you know, how he, he knows that he can never live up to what his father wants him to be. He has that, he doesn't have that ruthlessness that comes so easily to his father, uh, to Bunty. He he doesn't, and then he's he's also like, he he's actually someone who, who, who does also want to come across as being a good person. I'm not sure if he is a good person. Mm. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I, 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 fe- I felt like he wasn't, but as you say, his... It, the the way in which he measures himself is all according to how this family has taught him to to measure things and the context of being being constantly untouched by the things in in India that you know managed to touch everyone else's lives he remains invincible from in some ways um there have been some comparisons between age of vice and mario puzo's the godfather <laughs> even the echo of sonny's name sonny Cor- corleone for mm-hmm. me though the strongest connections in plot and theme were with vikram chandra's sacred games mm-hmm. or aravan adiga's the the white tiger and and maybe even mohsen hamid's how to get filthy rich in rising asia do any of these titles re- register with you and and what crime family stories were inspirations well, yeah, I, I'm always um, um, amused by the comparisons with The Godfather, I think. And um, and I think it's because it, there is a bit of that father-son dynamic. Um, mm-hmm. I Yes, Sacred Games, I can see, you know, there is, of course, I the relationship between, I mean, this is, of course, bet- you know, you have Gaitonde and you have, this is, it's, it's set in Mumbai. Mm. Um so the world is just different, but, you know, not completely different. And there's crime and violence. I have not read How to Get Filthy Rich in Rising Asia, and I want to. It's on my, it's on my uh, radar. I, uh, but I, 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 I can definitely see these, these themes because this is, um, you know, the last 20, 25 years in India and Pakistan in countries and, you know, developing countries in South Asia have been characterized by transition of the economies of sort of capitalism coming in and money pouring in, creation of middle classes, but all the, um, the uh, you know, the idea that uh, there is a certain amount of social mobility, that someone who comes from an ex- incredibly poor, um, deprived marginal background can also make it but then there is all the other forces in the way and and that's i think again what um Mohsin hamid and arvind adiga do really well mm. you know they they get those voices of these 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 men who are kind of trapped in these violent systems trying to break free and and then of course the question that you asked earlier um which i think really applies to all these other books as well is you know does ajay think he's an amoral person do his mm. actions constitute uh immorality or or is he just a victim of this of this the system yeah and and adiga and 
and you are 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 very interested in whether you know a character in the middle of that moment where they're sort of making those choices can ever step back and have some ability to kind of reflect on and 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 think about those choices or whether it's it's such a sort of survival instinct that you almost can't consider it in the moment and i wonder if you as you were writing you were thinking for ways because it is in the end a story about whether you can kind of reconcile yourself after having done these things whether you thought about how ajay would would be able to reflect upon them yeah i mean would he would he have the the skills or you know the and and to be able to reflect upon them i mean will he be because he hasn't had any kind of formal education does he know how to you know he he starts to work for a, a criminal family pretty early in his life so you know if that's his schooling then what's right and what's wrong but i uh, i mean <laughs> i am writing two more books it's a trilogy and i i'm exploring that for specifically for ajay's character oh i didn't know that oh how fantastic yeah. oh that's yeah. great i know it's it's interesting because they haven't the publishers didn't say it's a trilogy and then yeah, there's, no. been a, there's been a <laughs> there's been a lot of uh people who feel like the end end is not resolved completely yes it's not because uh, there are more books um I wasn't oh yeah done. it's very open open-ended it's a, yeah it's... and i think that because well you're as as someone who you know, you're you're a professor, and you you you're good with that, right? I, mm. I don't know. You know, if 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 you see a book of a book, you know, of a novel lacks resolution, you still go with it. And I think there are so many readers out there. Because um, I've you know I've been reading some reviews, and um, they they come come into it because it's uh, it promises to be a, a thriller, and you know, thrillers always need some kind of resolution. You know, often they're just escapist fiction. You, mm. you read them knowing that something terrible is going to happen in the beginning, which will be, um, you know, that that wrong will be righted, and it's not. So, um, coming back to the original question, yeah, Ajay, Ajay is going to, he's going to go on a journey, and I wasn't done with uh, his any of the characters or the world, which is why. Um, I'm writing two more novels. Well, that's great news. Uh, and I, I personally am a proponent of uh, Virginia Woolf's idea of the novel as a, a loose baggy monster. And I, I like all the, you know, untied up loose ends. And I I would have been perfectly happy with it as, as it ended now. But I am excited that there are okay. others to come. Well, I'm, I'm very pleased with your response. Loose baggy um, yeah, loose and baggy. That's that's me too. As a reader, I'm I'm always, um, you know, open, and I do like, uh, you know, it's it's hard to uh, um, to end novels because you know life doesn't just end so swiftly or yeah. easily or, you know, completely. But um, I, I think so many people who read certain kinds of genre fiction expect resolution. Yeah, and 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 you know. Being having the genre of sort of crime thriller, uh, you know, put on top of your book, whether you want it or not, um, comes with these assumptions of of resolutions, like those who have done done wrong will pay, um, and those who have you know made good choices will will ultimately be lifted up. And but the novel itself is is more interested in complicated answers to the, those questions, I think. 
Absolutely. And I, I often uh, think of, you know, where, where I stand. Um, is, it, is it going to be wish fulfillment for the characters? You know, or are we going to go into that territory? Or are we, is it going to be a reflection of reality? And, and, and try as I might, I always kind of go towards the, the, the more messy um, reality, which mm. is, um, you know, often not very kind to the characters. <laughs> No, and as, people, as, anyway. as is, you know, the case in real life. So Absolutely. I think that, that's the way to do it. My, um, one of my favorite, if not my favorite character is, is Neda. Mm -hmm. uh, as you said, she's a daughter of intellectuals who privilege knowledge as, as wealth. And she, you know, falls in with Sunny. You, you play wonderfully with hiding your cards about her. She comes into the story first as sort of a kinder version of Sonny's other terrible girlfriends and one who is who's decent to Ajay. Mm. But then we get to move forward and backward in time and see her choices and watch her come in to be lured into that life of money and, and then regret that servitude that comes along with it. Was that slow reveal using the sort of time machine of the novel with competing chapters about Neda always the way you plan to introduce her? I mean, I wanted, I, I wanted to start with Ajay's story and then it just felt um, after Ajay, it felt natural to introduce Neda and also because Ajay has partial knowledge you know, he's not being able to, he, he sees only a very kind of, uh, he has a very fixed understanding and narrow understanding of the world and of Sunny and, and his own place in the world. And with Neda and her character, it felt like through her, I could explain um, the world, you know, to everyone. She was the, the, the biggest, the great, the, the translator. Um, mm -hmm. But also, um, you know, I was so interested in exploring the idea of co compromise and complicity with Neda. You know, she's she, she in the beginning. She, Neda always thinks of herself as a as a good person. Um, you know, and and she she can be, but then of course, as a, as as the story unfolds and you see the kind of choices that she ultimately ends up making and the people that she and eventually ends up betraying are, you know, that that kind of like it, it's 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 not pretty. It's it's. Um, and it's it, the middle class and the upper middle class in India. And, you know, I guess I could I could fall into that category is that, you know, you, we think we're good people. But how can you sometimes when you when you are sitting on top of a desperately unequal ladder hmm. and that corruption and complicity that the, the, the rich and the privileged make in India constantly with their morality in order to kind of live their comfortable, secure lives is, is something that I could, you know, I wanted to explore and, and Neda was this perfect character to do it with. Yeah. You're, you're, um, you're illuminating something for me in the book that I, I felt was very true, which is that you're interested in two kinds of violence in this novel. One is the, you know, the very visible sort of flashy physical violence that happens because of the, the crime dealings of the novel. But the other is the violence of uh, a life in a capitalist system that allows someone to, to live in uh, unbelievable privilege when it is built upon absolute poverty and so that those two kinds of violence are constantly intertwined were you thinking in those terms 
Yeah, I mean, um, again, you just uh, put everything um, so so simply. <laughs> um, yes, I was basically for me the idea was that there's this 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 violence um, of of just being um, part of this system in you know um, kind of like that the rich and the, the the way the rich and the privileged live where they you know just by the act of their living mm-hmm. you are you are depriving so many poor people or depriving so many people of basic necessities you know and that's that happens on a day-to-day basis so you kind of like in order to survive you sort of like shut your eyes and say i'm not i'm not gonna care um and then there is the other violence um and that violence is like it's 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 right there and then i feel it in especially in north india where i come from up it's like it's always hovering you know that kind of um not just male violence but it, a lot lots of it is very male and masculine and it's there and it's it's also the violence of 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 a rapid of capitalism you know of, of people becoming some people becoming incredibly rich um and the rest not mm. and then there's the you know and, and and how like you have this kind of interdependence of these two worlds and and how they mix and how it's really messy and chaotic and and I was trying to put all of that in the novel I had all of these ideas so yeah that's that, that those were some of my intentions and and for Ajay it, it becomes a, a question of how do you free yourself from from multiple masters direct masters of the Vadia family but also as you're describing it being mastered by you know Becoming okay with the way that that capitalist society will will use and abuse you in order to keep this structure in place. How do you think about that kind of quest for Ajay, which is, I, I guess, also reflected in in Neda at least at the beginning when she says, "I don't want to be under anyone's control. I don't want to be having to be told what to do." Do those two things come together for you? Yeah, I mean, with. With Ajay, it was definitely how do you, you know, you, you sh- sort of, um, you know, he's he's kind of like an orphan and he needs to find a way to belong and please. Um, and then he gets kind of cast aside by the system. I mean, and this is the thing, Ajay is so expendable, um, like so many people in, in societies like India, despite um, modernity and despite, you know, all the trappings, that we can say, oh, there's a new middle class that's been created, you know, there's wealth that's going around, uh, trickling down, et cetera, et cetera. So, so there, it, there is Ajay's predicament, and Neda's is is more the predicament of a of a privileged young twenty um, something in 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 any society, but like she happens to be from Delhi in India, where um, she can, you know, she can basically make mistakes. And and it's okay, you know. She'll be able to pick up her, the pieces of her life and still move on. And Ajay, mm. he has none of that. Mm-hmm. You know, he makes one mistake and and that's it. He's gone. 
His life yeah. is gone. Yeah, I, I kept thinking with Sonny about that. There's a, a a line, something along the lines in in Forrester's uh, Howard's End, about how the poor always sort of sit on the very very edge of the vortex and always uh, about to fall in uh, to a place where there's no return from, uh, while the while the rich never even see the vortex or choose not to look at it. And I felt like that's always in the, in the back of Ajay's mind that he could fall back into that, to that life that he had before. Yeah. And, and, you know, and then he, he, I mean, then he goes to, to jail and, you know, he's basically, um... God, those scenes were terrible to read. <laughs> they were so <laughs> scary. <laughs> I, know, I know, but it's like, he's atoning for someone else's sins. Mm. And that person who, who killed all those people will never, you know, and, and, and that's basically the tragedy of, of India is that the powerful hold and the, and the rich hold so much sway and influence that they will always get away with, you know, everything, including murder, you know, mm. they will, and, and that still stands. Um, and that's really what I wanted to say. Uh, that the prison scenes in particular, I, I, I found difficult because they, it was such a, uh, just an, an abject place. And, and even the fact that you put it in, in italics to kind of give it an almost otherworldly sense within the, within the text. But it, it, were those difficult to write? I, I found them just, you know, so yeah. scary. Yeah, they were they were difficult. I mean, I um, I spoke to some cops, but also criminals um, who had recently go out on bail, and you know, it's um, for research. I I read Human Rights Watch reports on prisons on torture. So, but then again, I was you know I, I was trying to get at this kind of like psychological prison, but because Ajay, you know, it, it in a way it doesn't even matter where he is because he's you know he's what has just happened to him. He's just sitting there and thinking about his, his visit to his family, his mother, what just happened to him in that town. So, uh, and then everything else that's, you know, and then he gets the prison education. Um, yeah, the scenes, they weren't easy. And I definitely, I, I was very, um, um, I really wanted to make sure that the italics separated their, them from the rest of the the novel. It was very important to me mm. that, you know, when you enter the scenes, that's like, it's a, you're also in the prison yeah, as a reader. Yeah, yeah, that formal separation made it mm. seem like a little, a cage that you exist within for that, that period of time. Yeah, um, there's a small moment with Neda in London that actually registers quite loudly for me. She's approached by a Brit in a bar who professes his love for India, saying it got under his skin when he visited once. And then he drones on about an Indian philosopher and asks her opinion. Her retort is to ask him what he knows about the Maypole ceremony. When he knows nothing, she asks why she is meant to know everything about India. When Age of Vice became a, a major release for Riverhead, did you worry that you would be asked to become all knowledgeable about India in a way that so often post-colonial writers are asked to stand in for their country of origin? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I did. <laughs> You're right there. But I think I've been surprised by the... I mean, I, I don't... You know, there are lots of different kinds of people asking you all kinds of questions and yeah there are there are 
some and they think you're just a stand-in and you know you'll 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 be able to ask or answer all the questions or this is a an Indian story. I mean this is um it's definitely something that you know when your book becomes popular internationally or your work, your story. But at the same time I think there is also great awareness of India. Hmm. Um and an idea that you you don't speak for all Indians put that scene in as well because um, I used to work as a yoga teacher in Goa um, and teach a lot of foreigners and you know there was there's always these funny little incidents happening <laughs> I can imagine them yeah. immediately <laughs> yeah yeah and and, and you know I, 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 Americans especially I, I find it bizarre that they have to end yoga classes with saying namaste to you I mean to each other as well and and I and it's really interesting because, well, in, in India, we say namaste at the beginning. We don't say it in the end often. Or we say bye, you know, or hi. We don't, you know, have to say namaste all the time to each other. And I, I just find it really amusing when when it happens, even here in, in Europe, you know, especially in these kind of like yoga spaces and misunderstandings are so uh, common. Um, also, ideas of India, the spiritual India. I wanted to just kind of like poke people in the eye and say it's not spiritual. <laughs> <laughs> or it's not, you know, there's this idea that it is one giant spiritual, yeah. you know, nexus and that all people are sort of constantly doing yoga and, and, and feeling, you know, the spiritual world differently. Um, it's a, that's a it's a dangerous idea and one oh, that unfortunately American uh, yoga has propagated. I know. And, and cause I, I moved around a lot in, in these kind of like yoga circles in India. It's also this idea that India is not just spiritual, the poor are happy. Oh gosh. You know, they're smiling at you. So they're happy. You know, there's a simplicity there that we lack. We in the West lack. Hmm. You know, with our, you know, sort of materialistic desires. I mean, there's all kinds of misconceptions. And and I think it was, you know, so many of these books that get written about India are often white by white people who come to India and India is the site of, you know, whatever fantasies they have or they, they find themselves in India. So, you know, it was it was it's always interesting to write back. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So before I let you go, I, I wonder if you'd be willing to share a couple of recommendations for my audience, things that mm -hmm. are sitting on your on your uh, nightstand table and just dying to be read. Yes. Um, so I'm, I'm currently reading this book called Cremation uh, by Rafael um, Chervis. It's, it's a Spanish translation. Actually, it's called Crematoria. And it's set, it, it's, it feels like a masterpiece. It's this very dense, evocative novel, um, uh, which starts off with the death of like a patriarch, uh, the family along the Mediterranean coast. And then every, um, again, this is a, a a piece of Spain that in the post-Franco years went from peasant agrarian uh, coastal land to, you know, a very, very expensive um, vacation spot. So it was hyper-capitalism, builders, real estate developers, people getting rich overnight and, the, you know, the moral consequences of that. So it felt kind of similar to themes of age advice but it's not it's very differently written and it's amazing oh I, um, I can't wait i didn't know about this one and i i lived in spain for a while and i i can't wait for it I, it's it's amazing you you would love it because it's again some it, 
I was in Madrid last week and everyone in Spain has read it and they're all, yeah, and, and, and it, it feels like this book that it's kind of like a secret, but it's so good. Mm. When you start reading it, you're like, okay, this is a masterpiece that I haven't, you know, why haven't I read? I read an essay in the New York Review of Books about this and immediately got the book. So, um, and then I was just reading Isherwood again, <laughs> Christopher Isherwood, his Berlin stories. Mm. I read that just for pleasure. Um, you know, because he's so good, and um, and some nonfiction about India um, was always stuff on politics and economics. So that's that's the books on my nightstand at the moment. Well, I'm I'm especially thrilled about cremation, and I'm I'm grateful for you for for bringing it to us. Um, but I'm most grateful for your book, Age of Vice, and for the the two others that will that will expand Ajay's um, story for us. And it was such a treat to get to talk to you about it. Thank you so much, Deepti. Chris, thank you so much for your incredible questions and the way you've just been able to summarize the themes of my novel much more eloquently than I ever can. So thank you. Well, I'm flattered. Not true, but I, no, I, no, I am no, deeply flattered. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, that's all from me for now. Thanks very much to Deepti Kapoor for coming on to talk about the first book in her trilogy of crime novels, Age of Vice. You can find all of Deepti's recommendations linked to burnedbybooks.com. There you'll find all of our previous episodes, ways to get some podcast merch, and a contact form for pitching episodes. Next week, I talk to Priscilla Gilman about her memoir, The Critic's Daughter, about her childhood growing up with a famous drama critic father and an influential literary agent mother. Until then, this has been Burned by Books. Thank you.